Good evening and welcome to the beautiful historical Marionette Theater. Tonight we're going to be discussing a mid-80s television movie. It's a drama, folks, by someone who's legendary for their comedy career. A little bit of a heavy subject, but it's uh, well worth to sit through and uh, you'll just uh, grab your seats folks the show will begin shortly oh good evening folks here in the balcony at the marionette theater the uh, series changed uh well just a slight you see we we uh well we had a family emergency so Choppy is not going to be joining us tonight. However, from the the Golden Coast, well, maybe a little inland from that, is our uh, dear friend, returning guest, and uh, every now and then pinch hitter, <laughs> Matt from the Chubbs Gone Wild and Big Gay Sex Show, The Daddy Years. And a round of applause if I could stop doing this. Yeah. Matt, how are you this fine night? I am doing well. I'm I'm doing my Lucille Ball impression. Um, <laughs> I am recovering from a cold, but I am proud to be here. Oh, and so you survived the first of the holidays, huh? Oi, Flay. Yes. Mm. <laughs> I'm here. I'm alive. You're you're just ready to kick off the next party, aren't you? Oh yes, it's gonna be it's gonna be fabulous this Sunday. Oh, mm. we're gonna be, I don't know. <laughs> we're gonna be playing cards against humanity. Oh, so it's, I I hear it's popular. I hear it's a very sweet game with very nice things to say about everybody. <laughs> so well mannered and yes, polite. I'm looking Just... forward to it. I'm a polite boy. Just, just like our leading lady in tonight's film. Now, uh, <laughs> you know, speaking of parties and kicking things off, tonight we are joined by a special returning guest. Please give a round of applause to our favorite cosplay and drag artist from the Mid-Atlantic, Demanda Martini. Well, hello, my dear. How are you this fine night? I am great. Uh, it has been a very long 2023. Uh, very excited to, I've been, um, I do have a few remaining gigs here in 2023 and then taking a few uh, weeks off to uh, spend with the family for the holidays and also really kind of like prepare for uh, the onslaught that is the beginning of uh, 2024. Um but yeah, it's been it's been going well, you know, just busy, booked, and blessed. Hmm. Well, it was so kind of you to take a a break from your very daunting, busy schedule, especially um, appearing in those centerfolds with Santa. What did I hear of rumor? No. Mental <laughs> <laughs> uh, wishes. Oh. Uh, well, um, you know, usually we have our senior showgirl in the house to tell us what's going on tonight. 
but she gets a little shy when there's another lady around. So I I hear that she's sitting this out tonight. If you'll get down to the stage for us, we have a little intro we're going to play. Okay? All right, here we go, folks. This is Jamanda giving us her best. Carrie is a young woman right out of college working her first job as a counselor for the unhoused in the Big Apple. She's struggling to adapt her skills until one day she sees an opportunity. A woman named Florabelle thinks Carrie's been turned out and begins teaching her how to survive on the streets. All seems to be going well until one evening the older lady disappears when she's mistakenly abducted and taken to a shelter. What happens when Flora finds out Carrie's a fake? Get yourself some comfortable shoes. We're walking the streets of New York. It's time for Stone Pillow with Lucille Ball and Daphne Zuniga. Take it away, fellas. And theme music. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies? And a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. That's Matinee tonight. Alrighty, so as you heard, our lady in the house here tonight, Demanda, told us about <laughs> the TV movie that we're discussing tonight. And this is a film, a TV movie, one of those uh, little hybrid things, you know, it didn't go to the theaters, but if you... Uh, we're uh, staying home then. You you might have caught it. Now, of course, this is before we had DVRs. And, you know, if you were lucky, you remembered to set your VCR. So who knows? Maybe you, you missed it the first time around. But this is... In, in like, 1985, they were setting their Betamax. Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> so, uh, Matt, uh, there's a little something that we talk about here as we get ready for the uh, year. Yes, 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 we do. Uh, it, one of the things that we do here at Matt Neymanusha is we like to set the stage. And what that means is that we uh, talk about what was going on in the world in 1985, when this film premiered. So, DJ, mm-hmm. take it away. Okay. U.S. history in 1985. Oh, it was a big year, believe it or not. In Hollywood, California, the charity single, We Are the World, is reported by USA for Africa. Like the enormously successful Do They Know It's Christmas that was reported by Band Aid UK two months prior, the single raises money to combat the ongoing famine in Ethiopia. The American act consists of high profile performances, performers, including the King of Pop, Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie, Miss Tina Turner. <laughs> My personal favorite, Cindy Lauper, and the Grand Dame Diana Ross. Also, yes. fun fact: Dan Aykroyd accidentally walked into the studio, and they were like, "Hey, come on in." <laughs> so if I you watch the why music video; there. you can see Dan Aykroyd in it. Oh my! I wondered why he was there. 
Also, Whitney Houston released her solo debut album at the tender age of 21. Oh, the Food and Drug Administration approved the blood test for AIDS used since then to screen all blood donations in the U.S. Oh, and and don't forget that the 57th Academy Awards, hosted by Jack LeMond, are held at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in Los Angeles with... Milos Forman, Amadeus, winning Best Picture. And Best Director, Forman's second win, along with, well, six other awards out of 11 nominations. The film also tied in nominations with David Lean's A Passage to India. In April of 85, Coca Cola <laughs> changed their recipe. No, not the way you think. Um, they didn't bring back that illegal ingredient. But it became new Coke at the time. The response was overwhelmingly negative, And the original formula was brought back on the market in less than three months. And eventually, there was so much confusion. They had things called... Uh, the uh, Coke Classic, and then eventually they just took the classic name off because, you know, you didn't have a choice anymore. They didn't have two recipes. Well, and I think that was what uh, caused the 41 tornadoes that hit Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, and Ontario, killing 76 people. They were so mad. They There was a dash to all the stores. They didn't have dollar stores then yet, though. Oh, oh in 85... It was an important time for folks like tonight's leading lady, Lucy. Nick at Night, a nighttime program service with an emphasis on classic television reruns, is launched in the United States, being broadcast on the same channel as Nickelodeon. And you knew it was time for Nick at Night because it was after dinner and mom and dad let you watch wholesome television because you know it was like uh ozzy and harriet and mr ed that is how i got to watch so many classic programs and understand the generation before me uh commodore also launched the amiga personal computer at the lincoln center in new york city that was an important innovation. I know that uh, there were some special effects that were made possible by the Amiga. I think that at that time, they may have animated the opening sequence for Doctor Who. So in 85, the first smoking ban, believe it or not. Now, think about this, folks. You were still allowed to smoke on airplanes in 85. But the first smoking ban for restaurants happened in the great state of Colorado, the Centennial State, because it became a state in 1876. Also, was, uh, one of the highest points of elevation in the U.S., but in Aspen, you know, that resort town, they said, nope, we're not going to let you smoke in our restaurants. Wow. <sighs> well, uh, don't forget that, uh, well... A little, uh, a little, little man named Mario uh, popped into the world when the Nintendo Entertainment System was released in U.S. stores. Oh, I loved, I loved that. I played, what is it, uh, Zelda? Hours and hours and hours I played that you game. You know, I remember when Dad bought a Nintendo because, uh, well, 
I think he probably bought it at Sears, just like his Atari. But he played it precisely once. And, well, Dad had some hand-eye coordination problems because he had an injury from an old factory job. But he just uh, plainly put to me, son, you can have it. It's too fast for me. (laughs) Did you ever finish any of the Mario games? Oh, I'm pretty sure I did. I had blistered thumbs for ages back then. Yeah, I I managed one and three and two lives. What was two? Oh, I, I, I weird game. For ages, I also used to get um, gifts of a subscription to Nintendo Power magazine. Ooh! And back in the day, they used to give out a free game title if you prepaid for a year. So, oh. uh, and then uh, the last of the important events in 1985 was Mr. Bill Gates. Of course, he. Uh, he got his uh, claim to fame because Microsoft released the first version of Windows, Windows 1.0. Wow, I think I know uh, some businesses that still use that. <laughs> right? <laughs> I think the city of D.C. still uses that. <laughs> so, in addition to um, all those things that happened in 1985... Looking back on things now, from the year this film came out, we have a bunch of people who graced us with our presence. The stork dropped them off at Mom and Dad's doorstep. Who were the celebrities born in 1985, Matt? Well, let's start with Haley Duff, who is the older sister of Hilary Duff, and is also known for Seventh Heaven. That was the Mormon show, wasn't it? Mm, not really Mormon, but it was definitely super conservative Christian. But, okay. Uh, Lizzie McGuire, and, oh, she was also with Lizzie McGuire and Napoleon Dynamite, which I've never seen. Uh, let's, I know, right? Uh, Rachel Neighbors from uh, uh, Harrisburg, PA, was born and became a cartoonist. Yeah. Uh, in in uh, honor of our missing nerd brother tonight, Toppy, I thought he would appreciate learning about a cartoonist born that year. What what was her strip? Um, there was a few things, but uh, I I I hadn't heard of any of them. Mm, okay, <laughs> <laughs> but she was born. Yay! Right. All right. Uh, Kellen Lutz a fashion model, and also was in Twilight and the Immortals and The Legend of Hercules. And, oh, oh, one of my favorite people, Sinequa Martin-Green from Walking Dead and Captain Burnham in Star Trek Discovery. Mm. (sighs) I love her. I love her so much. Uh, Tydra Call, singer, songwriter, actor, director, choreographer, and YouTuber known for uh, his role in Kinky Boots. And for not paying his dancers. Oh, she went there. <laughs> I sure did. Because, listen, the gays love to be like, oh, let's go see a tragic. I'm like, I don't know. Is he paying everybody on tour? <laughs> has, has he solved his uh, mortgage problem that, that he seems to have? Well, on that show, he was like, it's all fake. It's all fake. Sure. Mm-hmm. sure. 
Uh, also, Lana Del Rey, musician with nine studio albums since her 2010 debut. Wow, she's busy. The saddest uh, girl ever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Ashley Tisdale. Wow, that's a real person, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, she was known for High School Musical and Scary Movie 5. And she just released three studio albums. First of, all, first of all, Sharpay is an icon. Hmm. Her character from her character from High School Musical. Uh-huh. Uh, I haven't watched it in so long I forgot. <laughs> uh, also, Mary uh, who, oh, who, uh, Mary Wiseman, uh, who is Tilly on Star Trek Discovery. Yay for gingers! <laughs> And I'm so glad she's coming back. Oh, I was worried they were just going to... She wasn't going to be there anymore. I love her. Also, oh, God, her. <laughs> uh, Kaylee Cuco from The Bullshit. Big Bang Theory and the what, what the actress that woman ruined the last season of Charmed. <laughs> she's also Bill Shatner's uh, replacement for the Priceline commercials. Mm, she's a mess. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I seemed rather bitter there. I don't know why. Uh, also, Raven Simone, actor, musician, with four studio albums, and got her start as Olivia on The Cosby Show, and has come out and married a fabulous woman, and is an icon. Oh, also, Anna Kendrick known for Twilight and Perfect Pitch, and she is fabulous. And the youngest uh, Tony nominee ever. Yes! That's awesome. She deserves it. She's fabulous. Yeah, she was a Tony nominee before she went on and did her first movie, Camp, which is one of my favorite movies. Oh, Uh, that's a great movie. And then then she just, like, had to go back to high school. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's fabulous. And And also, was she... Wasn't she nominated for an Oscar as well for something? Was it up in the air? Was she, or was she at least like Golden Globe nominated? Because I know that like George Clooney and Vera, whatever, for whatever her last name is, I think oh. they were nominated as well. But I want to say Anna Kendrick was nominated for an Oscar for Up in the Air as well. In fact, hold on, I'm going to Google that real quick. Because she certainly should be. Anna Kendrick. She is a, uh, so she's nominated for a Tony. Uh, so yes, she was nominated for an Oscar for Up in the Air. Excellent. Yes. Okay. Mr. Really so. So, uh, DJ. Yes, sir. I want to know mm-hmm. what was on television. In 1985. Well, I'm so glad you asked because Stone. Was it V? I, I believe so. that was one of the movies <laughs> that year. Now, um, Stone Pillow, the TV movie that we're talking about tonight, that stars the fabulous, legendary Lucille Ball. It was a TV movie, and it probably aired on a Sunday. Now, um, in that time of the year, over on each of the, the networks, because, you know, back then, think Yonder and the old chapters of the the book there we had there was a time when we only had three network stations 
The ABC, so the American hard. Broadcast Company, CBS, <clears throat> Columbia Broadcast System, otherwise known as the Big Brother, the Eyeball, and then the National Broadcast Company, the Peacock. Now, on Sunday nights, just before all of those stations had a movie of the week at about nine o'clock, because, you know, once the kiddos are chucked into bed because they've got school on Monday, mom and dad stay up for a little while and have a little drinky poo while they watch their <laughs> their favorite actors. So, uh, you know, leading up to the nine o'clock hour on ABC was MacGyver. So if you were, uh, you know, trying to get your uh, DIY fix on there, or maybe you just uh, like some eye candy. And uh, let's see, on CBS, which was where Stone Pillow was aired at that time of the year, they were showing Murder, She Wrote, which was still in its initial run then. And then on NBC, they had a series which was uh, written and produced by Mr. Steven Spielberg. It was Amazing Stories, which did bring us quite a few amazing stories. So Lucy, the uh, leading lady from tonight's film, has actually appeared on all three networks and Stone Pillow was slated to uh, be, uh, well, was made for CBS. And then her um, forthcoming last effort sitcom uh, was pitched to them. And, uh, well, they didn't pick it up. Don't know why, but hey, here it we was bad. <laughs> so here we are talking about it. All right. So uh, if you are anyone who's listened to our show Before you know that we like to tell you about all the people behind the scenes that made this possible and the person behind the camera that tells this story is the director. Matt, if you would tell us a little bit about the director who was the the, uh, main reason why Lucy agreed to do this movie. Well, I did so much research. I spent like a week on this, so... Um, let's see. Uh, <clears throat> so the director, a.k.a. the uh, magician of the film, George Schaefer, who was uh, born in Connecticut and known for the CBS Playhouse, 1967. The Scottish play, I shall not say the name, mm-hmm. uh, 1960. And Beverly Hills Cop 3 mm. in 1994. Very diverse body of work there. Uh, He began his directing career while serving in the U.S. Army Special Services during World War II and directed over 50 plays for the troops. Then, after he was discharged, he directed for Broadway, uh, the Broadway Theater. His first production was Shakespeare's Hamlet, starring Morris Evans. In 1953... He won a Tony Award for his production of The Tea House of the August Moon, which he co-produced with Evans. So, quite accomplished in the theater. Uh, During the golden age of television, he directed numerous TV adaptions of Broadway plays for NBC's Hallmark 
uh, Hall of Fame. His first episode for Hallmark was an adaption of his Broadway staging of Hamlet, starring Evans. And in the 1980s, several of his productions uh, for Hallmark aired in syndication under the title George Schaefer Showcase Theater. His television work garnered him five Emmys out of 21 total nominations, so quite impressive. He also won four Directors Guilds uh, of America awards out of 17 nominations. He holds the record for the most DGA award nominations. And he also directed five theatrical productions, but to limited success. So, from 1979 to 1981, he was president of the Directors Guild of America. He was a board member of President Ronald Reagan's TUI, uh, National Council on the Arts from 1982 to 1988. And in 1985, he was appointed chairman and later associate dean of the UCLA School of Theater and Television, where he stayed until 1991. So basically, during the 80s and 90s, he served on advisory board to the National Student Film Institute. And he was an honorary chairperson of the Institute for a one-year term. Now, at the time of his passing... He was 76 years old and in 97 had directed 105 films. His last project was 19 was the 96 TV movie Harvey, a remake of the 1950 James Stewart film starring Harry Anderson and Leslie Nielsen. Mm. Wow, was that a show? Oh, uh, I what a I, career. Once I read about that last bit there, it actually makes me want to dig up a copy. <clears throat> Sounds uh, like a pretty good cast. So, Well, Harry Anderson, I mean, he's brilliant. <clears throat> yeah, I can't imagine him working with Leslie Nielsen, because I don't think there's a Leslie Nielsen movie that I didn't like. <laughs> oh, he's special. Yes. righty. <laughs> so, we are at about the halfway mark in our show. We're going to step on over here to the snack bar where it's open bar, folks, because Gertie left the house. They screwed any caps down. The uh, wax marks have been removed from the bottles. So, ante up, folks. All right. For your listening enjoyment, we have a interview with Lucille Ball on the Tonight Show and from time to time in the 80s, before she got her own show, Joan Rivers would fill in for Johnny. So this is an interview with Lucille Ball uh, and Joan Rivers. And uh, if you are participating in our Discord chat room, I have pasted a copy of the clip that I'll be playing. So here we go. This is about four minutes which is on November 5th. She is the queen of comedy. Uh, somebody told me that she is the, uh, she holds the record for being the, uh, wait, let me put it right. She holds the record for having been on television more times, more hours than any other performer in its entire history of the industry. She is just wonderful and terrific. And I'm so glad to have her to visit us again, Miss Lucille Ball. Give us a typical Lucille Ball day. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> 
I do a lot of things, but I couldn't give you a typical day. Uh, I'm traveling a lot now, and um, I'm pushing Stone Pillow at the moment, so yeah. I'm really going. Yeah. That's, thank you. Thank you. Why did you wait so long to do a dramatic role? I don't know. You know? Uh, uh, because I didn't get a script that I liked. The scripts are kind of scroungy, you know? Yeah. And I, I had a... You know, an image of sorts uh, that I personally liked. And I certainly don't want to just go out and do anything with four-letter words and things that I don't dig. I took this script because I, I wanted to work with a great director. And I found one, George Schaefer. And Mr. Schaefer came up with this subject. And I thought, well, this is sticking my neck out. And I don't know what my fans will think, but... I have to grow up sometime, and I have to, um, and at least this doesn't have anything that I object to, and it's uh, not a cause celeb, but it's, it's something close to my heart I have compassion for, yeah. but it's, I didn't start it out as a, you know, they, did you did you get a chance with like some actresses you know the, the method they go and they study the bag women and they become a bag woman I mean did you did you do anything like that did you no I found it very easy to be a bag woman <laughs> <laughs> you know if you ever Joan if you ever want to go around New York incognito that's it just take just off be the a bag woman nobody looks at you nobody recognized you when you were your costume I, we were out thirty three days on the streets of New York. Not one person stopped in front and said, you're Lucy, aren't you? Not one person. Unbelievable. What did and you I sat in one spot for 15, 20 minutes, an hour and a half. Not one person. They, they have a way of not seeing bag women. Now, or the men, you know, the winos, the weirdos, or the bag men. Uh, you can go any place you want except in to eat or... Um, into a restaurant. Did you ever try that? Yes, I forgot one day. Yeah, I forgot the, how I looked, and I said, oh, let's go to that place. I've heard about that, and I went, and they wouldn't let me in. <laughs> and did you say, finally, I'm Lucille Ball? No, I went, I left. I wasn't going to try to prove it. With the makeup I had on, I, I couldn't prove it. <laughs> well, I, you don't think I did it without makeup? <laughs> For God's sake. November 5th, Stone Pillow, right? November 5th, Stone Pillow. And you lost... Nine o'clock out, out here. 23 pounds doing it. Yeah. <gasps> oh, isn't that wonderful? Oh. Well, up to a point. Oh. I mean, I didn't have to lose, lose that much, but uh, it was terribly hot, and we were supposed to be shooting in the middle of the winter. See, at all And that. I was dressed for grisly February. And it was 98, 99, 100, 102, 105, 107. In one place, it was 122. Oh. Yeah, in a boiler room that we worked in. And with all the clothes and the wig and everything, I lost 23 pounds. But I don't mind losing most of that weight, except that it made me ill. And, yeah. uh, you know, I have to put back some, but I don't want to put back the whole 23. When you say ill, did you go to a hospital? Yes, I did. And, you know, I hate hospitals. And how long were you in the hospital? Five days, I think. That's, a That's too long. Oh, I guess so. Because of all of the costuming and the makeup and the wig, because they were not filming during the winter when she was expecting to. It was quite warm out 
and for 30 some odd days in New York, she ended up losing 23 pounds and landed up in the hospital for five days. Wow. Now, um, as you heard, Joan Rivers was conducting that interview. And just a quick pop quiz, Demanda, uh, Matt, either one of you can buzz in. Do you know what Joan Rivers did to cause a falling out between her and Johnny Carson? Yeah, she got her own show. Oh, right on. on And guess what? I still have the letter that I wrote to Joan saying how horrified and angry I was about all of that and she wrote me back and sent me a very nice letter and and everything and then i wrote to fox and i said you and i used a lot of cuss words which was (laughs) weird because i was a teenager so i really shouldn't have been doing that uh and they wrote me back saying well we're so sorry that you're upset with us but you know piss off kid so (laughs) i still have that letter somewhere too <laughs> oh, so Demanda, as uh, you know, our uh... Sorry, I realized I was on mute and I was talking. Oh, oh <laughs> as, the, as I'm still back in 2020. Um, you know, I was gonna say, literally on my TikTok, they literally uh just posted uh, someone posted a video of uh, Joan while she was hosting her show talking about the falling out between her and Johnny Carson, and it was because she got her own show. And, um, again, there's, like, a lot of bad blood, but she was like, hey, I'm, you know, the first woman who has ever done this. They offered me, again, from what she said uh, on her show, 15 times her salary that she was getting on on Johnny Carson. So, for anyone who has ever left a job, ever, and, uh, Think about like you know, are you gonna stay on the on, on this job that you know you're doing fine with, or this other company coming along being like, hey, we're gonna give you way more money. I mean, what right. are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah, for for sure. Um, and again, especially as a you know a female comedian. Uh, but yeah, it was a very tearful uh thing that she was doing. It's like her opening monologue of her show, and instead of um because they weren't allowed to play any clips on her show of Joan Rivers on the, from the Johnny Carson show, because they weren't going to give up the rights to the, to them to play them. Mm-hmm. She decided to then pay it forward on that show. Uh, that, uh, that was like the show that was going to air before like the Johnny Carson, uh, final show. Uh, mm-hmm. she invited like five brand new comics to come get their start on her show, which I thought was like a really nice, Thing for her to do since she got her start on Johnny Carson. Anyway, yeah. enough about her. Oh, Aww. so you know, um, speaking of the uh, the 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 red the 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 ginger the <laughs> leading lady, we come up to Demanta. The, well, Me? <laughs> Me? for those of you who are who are watching us and not just listening. Uh, I am wearing some red hair this evening. Um, I literally just refreshed it for this week. I went and saw uh, the Pretty Woman musical uh, that came touring through DC. It's fun. Like, is it a great, brilliant show where you're going to get, like, all kind of, like, emotions and, like, no. But are you going to have a good time? Yes. And are the t- and the two leading actors, they get quite steamy on on the stage like i was not expecting like the thing is that i mean they they kiss a little bit but like 
you it just like in the movie, like you get the feeling that oh no, they're about to fuck and then the lights go black. Like Ooh. it's it's good. It's fun. It's a good time. Um I met both of the leading actors stage dooring and they're both very lovely people. And again, I oh. wish the tour success. So but speaking of uh the lady of the hour, so Lucio Ball, her character's name was Flora Bell. Her name was uh, Lucille Ball, was born August 6, 1911, in Jamestown, New York. Uh, that's an hour and 20 minutes southwest of Buffalo, in case you needed to know. Uh, <laughs> her father died before she was four, and her mother worked several jobs, so she was, and her younger brother were, were raised by their grandparents. Always willing to take responsibility for her brother and her young cousins, she was a restless teenager who yearned to make some noise. She entered a dramatic school in New York City, and while her classmate Betty Davis received all of the raves, but uh, honestly, obviously Betty Davis was, um, <laughs> she was sent home too shy. She found some work modeling for Hattie's Carnegie, for Hattie Carnegie's, and in 1933, she was chosen to be a Goldwyn girl and appear in the film Roman Scandals in 1933. <laughs> She was put under contract to RKO Radio Pictures and several small roles, including one in Top Hat and 35. Eventually, she received starring roles in B Pictures and occasionally a good role in an A picture, like Stage Door in 1937 or Big Street in 1942. While filming Too Many Girls in 1940, she met and fell madly in love with a young Cuban actor-musician named Desi Arnaz. Despite different personalities, lifestyles, religions, and ages, he was six years younger. Mm. He fell hard, too, and after a passionate romance, they eloped and were married in November of 1940. Lucy soon switched to Metro-Golden-Mare, where she got better roles in films such as Dewberry Was a Lady in 43, Best Foot Forward in 43, and the Catherine Hepburn Spencer Tracy vehicle Without Love in 45. In 48, she took a starring role in the radio comedy My Favorite Husband, in which she played the scatterbrained wife of a Midwestern banker. In 1950, CBS came knocking with an offer uh, of turning turning it into a television series. After convincing the network brass to let Desi play her husband and to sign over the rights and creative control to them, work began on the most popular and universally beloved sitcom of all time. I Love Lucy ran from 1951 to 1957, 181 episodes, and the creative process involved in the production in turn made Lucy a pioneer in television, creating the standard three-camera setup for studios. In 1962, she became the first woman to run a major television studio, Desilu Productions, which produced many popular television series, including Mission Impossible, and Star Trek. She is the godmother of science fiction television. The fairy godmother. She was like, I'll produce that craziness. <laughs> After Wildcat, she reunited with I Love Lucy co-star Vivian Vance for The Lucy Show, which Vance left in 1965. The show continued with Ball's longtime friend and series regular Gail Gordon until 68. Ball immediately began appearing in the new series, Here's Lucy, with Gordon, frequent show guest Mary Jane Croft, and Lucy and Desi Jr. The program ran until 1974. Ball did not retire from acting completely, and in 1985, she took on a dramatic role, a.k.a. Emmy Bait, 
in a television <laughs> film, Stone Pillow. And the next year, she started in Life with Lucy, which, unlike her other sitcoms, was not well-received. It was canceled after three months. She did not appear in film or television roles for the rest of her career. At the time of her passing in 1989 from heart disease, Lucy had 121 acting credits. Wow. So, Jamanda, you had already mentioned she's the fairy godmother of sci-fi. Yes. The reason that we got Star Trek. Now, some of you may not be aware, but when Scott Bakula had his own Star Trek show, they had a little homage to Lucy because when the Vulcans were trapped on Earth before the events of First Contact, they had a moment in an episode where they were saying, we have to stay home tonight because I Love Lucy is on. <laughs> but Demanda, here's the pop quiz question. Do you know, besides the things we've mentioned, what other connection Lucy has to Star Trek? I'll give you a big hint. It has to do with one of her kids. Uh, I want to say one of her kids was in one of them, but I can't remember. Again, I remember reading it on like Wikipedia <laughs> forever ago, but I don't remember. Okay, well, it was a bad movie, and it was directed by Bill Shatner, and it was a stepbrother. Any bells? Okay, so Lucy's daughter, also Lucille, married Lawrence Luckenbill, who played Spock's not quite all their brother Cybok in this fifth Star Trek movie directed by Bill Shatner. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that, that's going around uh, connecting. I, I, I mean, listen, we all know that Hollywood is interconnected. I mean, it's just like um, you know, uh, Liza Minnelli marrying uh, was it the the, the Tin Man's son? <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those things that just kind of happens in Hollywood. Exactly. I mean, you know, like going to the public pool. <laughs> right. I mean, you, you you just marry the people who your parents are friends with, kids like that. Uh-huh. I mean, is, I mean, isn't that what all of us kind of do too? It just so happens to be that they're famous. Well, and you know, my, my <laughs> I didn't meet my husband until I moved back home after living away for a decade and coincidentally he was living in the town that my grandparents did when i was a little boy so Mm -hmm. go figure fate so anyways uh the next member of the cast matt is the young lady who played the up-and-coming or at least uh in her first job since college um social worker carrie lang who was that matt oh did you want me to talk about carrie i thought i was talking about anna marie oh you know what um straight <clears throat> reverse it as um willy wonka would say hey this is my microphone okay because <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't say anything nice about carrie lang but you go ahead all righty so daphne zuniga say that three times fast play <laughs> carrie lang she was born in uh, the, the, the city by the bay there, San Francisco. Her mother is a Unitarian minister of Polish and Finnish descent. And her father, originally from Guatemala, was an emeritus professor of philosophy at California State University, East Bay. So, you know, he was the guy you could talk to at a party. Uh-huh. Uh, and in her early teens, Zuniga expressed interest in acting and attended the Young Conservatory program 
of the American Conservatory Theater of San Francisco. Lots of big words. Mm-hmm. After her parents' divorce, Zuniga moved with her mother and sister from Berkeley to, of all places, Reading, Vermont, where she spent the remainder of her teenage years. I guess she must have loved the fall. Um, Zuniga <laughs> graduated from Woodstock Union High School in Woodstock, Vermont. Because, you know, there's one in every state. Apparently. In 1980, after which she returned to California and enrolled at the University of California, Los Angeles, where else, to study theater arts. After leaving college, Zuniga was close friends and roommates with fellow actress Meg Ryan. And uh, before the show, we were talking about uh, people who've disappeared from the public eye. Well, don't look far because Meg Ryan is actually behind the camera these days doing directing. Now, just before Stone Pillow, Zuniga got her start acting in slasher and horror films. Oh, my husband probably knows all about her. And this was... I'd followed... watch her get killed. <laughs> oh, where was I? Ah, uh, she was, uh, let's see. Oh, just before. Uh, and this was followed by a leading role opposite John Cusack in Rob Reiner's film, the Sure Thing, also in 85. In 86, she starred as Princess Vespa in Mel Brooks' memorable cult comedy, Spaceballs. And that's in 87, followed by a supporting part in the science fiction horror sequel, The Fly 2. Uh, did that have... Uh, Electric what's Boogaloo. Yes. <laughs> From 92 to 96... Zuniga portrayed Joe Reynolds on the wildly wildly popular soap opera Melrose Place, which garnered Zuniga wider mainstream exposure. Her role... That doesn't sound very appropriate. No. (laughs) Her role on the series uh, would be followed by numerous appearances on television series, including a lead role as Shelley Pierce on American Dreams from 2004 to 2005, in a recurring uh, role on the popular CW series, One Tree Hill. Sounds like a college <laughs> Uh One Tree Hill was what is was a show, so uh, sidebar. Mm-hmm. Uh, One Tree Hill, so in like the early 2000s, when like the big thing was like go to Best Buy and like buy all of this, all of the DVDs of a TV <laughs> show so you could binge all of them before Netflix. Um, me and my, my best friend and roommate at the time, uh, we decided that we were going to get two shows. We were just going to buy two shows, their first seasons, and just see where it went. One was Grey's Anatomy, and then one was One Tree Hill. Mm-hmm. I loved One Tree Hill. Uh, Daphne Zuniga's character was like a kind of like a bitchy boss that comes in later, because obviously she is older than most of the like high school, college age kids that were on the show. But yeah, she was definitely like the bitch who came into town. She was <laughs> a delight and a treat. <laughs> and... Uh-huh. Uh, her character was Victoria Davis, a role that she played from 2008 until 2012. When she isn't acting, Zuniga works for causes such as cleaning up toxic waste and counseling high school kids against the dangers of drugs and alcohol. Oh, so uh, she went to the Nancy Reagan School of Charm. Um, <laughs> in more recent years, Zuniga has recently had guest appearances on the CW's Dynasty. Okay. Fun fact, folks, there was a scene in the movie we're discussing tonight where in the shelter, 
they're in the lounge, the TV room, and what should be on television? Dynasty! Foreshadowing <laughs> <laughs> for her. <laughs> and also in 2022, she was on Fantasy Island, the remake, of course. And NBC, well, actually, it wasn't a remake. I, I think they, they considered a continuation. Uh, but then also in 2020, she was on NBC or CBS's NCIS. And as of 2023, Zuniga has 83 acting credits. Okay. Wow. We are now ready to find out about the, um, the sassy lady in the office <laughs> with Carrie. The one who probably had more of her ducks in a row. Uh, who was that lady? Her, I think her name was Collins was the character. Oh, you mean Anna Marie Horsford, who <laughs> played Collins. Uh, she's actually, she was born in Harlem, and her parents immigrated from Antigua and Barbuda. Uh, and uh, that was in the 1940s. And then she grew up in a family of five children, uh, and she attended Wadley. You're giving me all these names, girl. <laughs> junior high school, and then the high school of performing arts. And after high school, she got into acting through the Harlem Youth Center for Change. Um, and she was best known for roles like Thelma Fry on NBC sitcom Amen which was uh, 86 through 91, so that lasted a while. With Sherman Helmsley. Uh, oh, yes. You know what? I love that show, actually. <laughs> I thought that was a great show. Um, and Dee Baxter on the WB sitcom The Wayans Brothers, which uh, ran, uh, what, uh, four years, 95 to 99. She was the dramatic, she had dramatic roles on FX crime drama The Shield, playing ADA Beth and Garde. And CBS, daytime soap opera, The Bold and the Beautiful, as Vivian Avant. I like that name. That's a good name. I should use that. Uh, oh, I guess it was used. Never mind. Uh, for her, which was nominated for the Daytime Emmy of the Outstanding Special Guest Performer in a Drama Series in 2016 and Outstanding Support Actress in a drama series in 2017. Um, so her first major role in television was as a producer on the PBS show Soul, uh, which was hosted by, girl, you've given me the names here, uh, Ellis Hazelip. We'll go with that. Uh, which aired between 1968 uh, and 73. Uh, one of her first television appearances was in 1973 on the first-run syndication game show, To Tell the Truth, where she was actually an imposter for Laura Livingston, one of the first female military police. Uh, she then made a guest appearance on sitcoms like uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Sparks, Moesha, The Bernie Mac Show, The Shield, Girlfriends, and Everybody Hates Chris. Uh, she then uh, appeared in a number of movies. Now, the most notable was as Craig Jones's mother, Betty, in the 1995 comedy film Friday, which I've never heard of, and its sequel, Friday After Next, 
which was in 2002, which I've never heard of. Uh, never her, heard of the Friday movies? No. That's am where I, by really, Felicia am I comes from. Something? What is? That's what? where by Felicia comes from. Oh, what? what? Okay, I have, <laughs> sorry, I have sorry, to go do, find Sorry, Dr. Dre. Uh, no, not Dr. Dre. Ice Cube. No, okay. no, not Ice Cube. It is Dr. It is. It's. Hold on. I'm I'm getting I'm getting all of the yes it is Ice Cube it's not okay. Dr. Dre it's Ice Cube that's oh. that's what made Ice Cube an actor instead of just a rapper. Hmm. Oh, I I like him. He's he's good. Uh, <laughs> I will I will look those up because I need to see them now. Okay. Like again, that was like peak mid '90s movies that you watched it when like you and your friends got together. Mom and I are like, what are you kids watching? It's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, that, like, <laughs> like house party movies. I don't have any of those brownies, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got to look those up and watch those. Um, her other film credits include Times Square, 1980, The Fan, 1981, Presumed Innocent, 1990, uh, Set It Off, which was in 96, and Along Came a Spider in 2001, but we can't forget and Our Family Wedding in 2010. I forgot it. Uh, more recently she was seen in the first season of Grey's Anatomy um, really the first season wow so do, you, do you remember the nurse who used to work with Meredith's mom who comes in for treatment and she dies oh, uh, the, only, the only reason I know this is because I literally just did a rewatch of Grey's Anatomy at the, uh, like maybe a few months ago so she's like the um, so she's a nurse who used to work in the, at the hospital and is now coming in because she's dying. And like, everybody's coming in and be like, Oh, like, are you okay? Like, let's make sure we take care of her. And like Meredith comes in and she's like, Oh, you're, you're Merit, you're, you're Gray's daughter. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. She's, okay. she's, she's great. And I want to say she, she might've got, she's got some like critical acclaim for that role. Cause I think she was only on like three episodes and then like, when Meredith almost dies with like the whole like is it is it the bomb episode or whatever? No, no, it's when when she drowns. Mm. Remember when when Meredith like may Kinda. or may not drown? I want to say she she comes back as one of the ghosts to be like, "Girl, get your shit together." <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I I should go back and watch. But, those. but again, that, that's again. I mean, the show's been on for twenty br- years now. Yeah, but yeah. Um, no, she's she's great in Grey's Anatomy. Cool. Um, and then, actually, she returned to the big screen in two thousand thirteen in *A Medea Christmas*, which I have slated to watch it soon. Uh, she portrayed Helen on the BT- BET sitcom *Read Between the Lines*. Ooh. And so she's she's done a lot of really good stuff. She's so she's she's what I would consider to be like black famous, where like she's done enough stuff in like black comedies, black dramas, mm-hmm. um, stuff where like you well, where, where where if there's like a movie or something that comes out that is uh, very much like by black directors, by black writers, like she's probably gonna play some kind of part in it, uh, wow. especially especially because she played the mom on Friday. Yeah, um, that 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 she's like kind of like black famous, um, just, just like we have like actors who are like gay famous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that kind, yeah. Of, kind of a thing. But no, yeah. she's she's wonder she's again. I remember when I when I watched this movie Stone Pillow, I was like, I know her. Why do I know her? And immediately like you know went to like look her up. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean I I remembered seeing her 
on that Sherman Helmsley show. Amen. Because I I remember her being the more likable actor. I used to think that Sherman Helmsley was just despicable for his character of George Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Before I could fathom the fact that people who are talented just make you not like them. When right. Character. If, but, if you hate a character, they're doing their job. Exactly. Right. But right. to your point about being famous in your community, if this film had been made 10 years later, I think that uh, Anna Maria would have been Carrie instead. Oh, yeah. And probably done better. <laughs> I mean, Daphne Zuniga is not... I, I, are, we, are we at the part where we can just talk about this? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So Daphne Zuniga is not a great actress. Um, <laughs> she she has her, like, niche. And so seeing as how Stone Pillow is also... also very much at the beginning of her career, this doesn't surprise me. Because, like, now she, like, you know, I was talking about One Tree Hill, she's kind of found her niche of being in, like, these sort of, like, a little soapy, a little campy, um, where she's going to be kind of a bitch. Whereas, like, trying to play a bitch when you're 20s, and when you're not a high school mean girl, it's like, you're just whiny. Like, what? Uh. Like, 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 what, like, what is this? Um, like, Princess Vespa was definitely a good part for her. Yeah. It definitely leaned into what she was kind of already doing, or that's just the kind of stuff that she was being given. Um, but, uh, I mean, I loved her in Spaceballs. Like, that movie is super iconic. Yeah. To this day, anytime, like, I have, like, a sore throat and I still have to sing something, I start off by singing, nobody knows. <laughs> and, oh, uh, she's a bass. She's a bass. Um, <laughs> But no, she's she's not she's not great. Um, yeah. But also it, about um, Anna Marie Harsford, um, she also just has like sort of like that distinguishable voice of like to me, it's like again when, when you're watching movie, it's like the it's it's like the black mom voice, like you know, like you know what I mean, like yeah. Any anytime you think of like, and, and again, I think it's because of Friday, to be honest. But at, but at, at any time, I sort of like picture like that mom who's coming in and like coming home from work and like talk to her kids and be like this is what we got to do because like i got stuff going on you know like she's she's definitely kind of like an iconic character and archetype of of movies in my past um daphne the the thing about and i i i'm being a little harsh on her uh of course just because she was awful. she's awful in this movie 100 <laughs> but the thing is too though as is, is if you look at the styles of acting over time you know how how it evolves and changes for 1985 her what she did was acceptable i mean it, it was like on par with like if you watch little house on the prairie and watch you know that type of character it's going to be the same type of acting it's kind of like in the the 50s where they had to you know, throw themselves on, down on the bed or faint every five seconds from, you know, consumption. Oh, uh, well, well, and, so, and also, like, just speaking of styles of acting, the movie opens, so again, this is supposed to be a very dramatic role and a very dramatic turn for, for, for Lucille Ball. The movie opens with her doing a very Charlie Chaplin uh-huh. as the scamp, like, playing, yep. like, the super lovable homeless person and like doing bits with her eyes and i don't know like what kind of makeup or what it looked like it looked like a prosthetic on her forehead 
Mm-hmm. Um, like they, they, they did their job at trying to make her not look good, uh, which for Lucy, who is stunning, um, is, is quite a task and they accomplished it in this movie, but it's like, she's giving all of these very camp and yes, like tropey and like kind of comedic, but it's like, is it's like, Lucy, you can kind of pull it back. You know, this is like a TV movie where we're trying to like get people to care about the homeless. Like, right. <laughs> and, 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 but, but she's like, but she's like going for it and doing like her usual, like Lucy, like screaming, yes. yelling at people. And it's like, what is this yeah. movie? Again, I, 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 I kind of said it earlier. You can definitely tell this movie was like Emmy bait for, uh, for Lucy. Like they were trying to get her an Emmy and okay. it didn't, work because like the 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 movie is too ham-fisted and yep. she is too she's too she's too lucy like you can't make lucy not lucy like you can't literally right. be the pioneer of sitcom television and be somebody else like unfortunately i just don't think that's a thing that you can do yeah i it it really she was from that point uh, i mean it was like from the beginning she was doing and I love Lucy, the the chaplain. The, yeah, she's doing and, a bit. She's doing right. a bit, and she just never, she never fully broke out of the comedy. I mean, she was Lucy. I mean, even when she's making faces at that the woman, she's supposed to be obstinate, but she's funny as sh- heck, you know. Ah, yeah, she when 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 she's she, when she's pulling the bits when so obviously her water bottle is like an old gin bottle or something, right. and like, yeah. like that's a whole bit. Her eating the garbage, yeah. that's a whole bit. Her, yes. e- like, what, and and so for me, when she does get serious, like, her best, like, acting moments, or uh-huh. when she actually finally gets serious, when she's actually telling Carrie about her life, mm-hmm. like, when, when they're, when they're in that, like, underground kind of place where everybody's sleeping, and then, and then, oh my, and then, oh my gosh, again, not to skip ahead, but, mm-hmm. like, Carrie's sexual assault, like, Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! Like that was so dramatic. Um, but, but anyway, but like that, like Lucy being honest and earnest in that because she's not pulling a bit. She's not. But then it's like immediately she's then flirting with the guy at the pharmacy. It's uh, like it's it, the, the the movie just doesn't work. It, it again. It's nineteen eighty five, so it for its time and like. It's very, I mean, there's a reason that we kind of, like, in today's age, make fun of these kind of, like, TV movies, or, like, Mm -hmm. made-for-TV, Hallmark, you know, made-for-movie specials, because, like, these movies, the movies, like, Stone Pillow, kind of set the precedent for, like, what people are expecting, Mm -hmm. where you have an hour and a half to give us a whole story, and it needs to be wrapped up in a bow, and it needs to be heartwarming, and, like, Like it's... Yeah, that that ending is. Oh my god! I that's it was like the dog has been adopted, and now she gets to go to her new home, and she's all like, ah. The the after credit scenes with her in like her own little house, I was like, shut up. (laughs) Were you were you were you waiting to see if she's gonna feed the birds? (laughs) Right, right, yeah. But you know. That that's my pet peeve with things like this is that TV movie. Okay, so we spent too much time on the drama, and we're barely going to get a resolution to the story. But if you sat through the credits, you kind of get closure. Yeah. No. The the one of the parts where she actually was really 
good was uh, when she was in, she was taken to the the homeless shelter and then she left there and then she was on her own and she was scared. She fell and she was like, during that part, that actually got to me. I was like, oh, you know, she's really selling it there. And for me, I was, uh, I was, my family was homeless when I was a kid and it was during that same time period. Actually, it was probably like 80. To 82, 83, right in there. And homelessness, especially homelessness, I mean, you had your tramps and your bums, but people in the mainstream like world didn't understand what being homeless was. So something like this, watching it, even though all the stuff we said is completely valid for 1985, it probably opened some eyes and it and it really needed to. Because, you know, people just didn't understand what it was. They figured if you're a tramp, you're, you know, out there riding the trains and, and doing all, being a bum. But it, uh, it, it was more so than that. As, as someone who's worked with adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities, like the one, the one that hit me is the one uh, when they're talking about the other ladies. And there's the lady who had, oh. like, and, and this lady's okay. But his sister, she's the one that has problems. And, like, they, they don't say that she's crazy. They say that she has problems. Mm-hmm. And she just screams all the time. And they don't know, like, what's going on with her. I'm like, that's I'm like that's real. That's true. Yes. And, like, yeah. and, 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 like, the sister won't give up the other sister. But, like, no one's going to take him in. She can't get a job because she has to take care of her sister. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know. Th- and, 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 the, and the other part was um, when, and again, they... They, it's it's a little it's a little racist, but like when they're like, oh, foreigners, like they don't speak English. Oh, but yeah. then later, but Lucy stands up for the lady who can't speak uh-huh. English because she doesn't know. Like she's like she doesn't know, and like she's just she doesn't know that like that's your stuff. And again, everyone everyone has like their mental health issues, so the, everybody's like fighting in the in the um in the women's shelter like the one lady who throws the tv down like oh. that lady's having a psychotic break like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like she like she's not she's not able to help that um, and, and poor lucy takes the blame almost right right yeah and you know that but I, th- I think this film illustrated some very important layers to the conundrum of being unhoused, of being homeless, because here Carrie is trying to give Flora an ounce of hope. But, you know, as they say, she's been done wrong before. So right. a- as Carrie is trying to say, we could do this and, you know, Flora Lucy's character is saying, no, no, you've got me all mixed up. You've got me all turned around. It's like you're offering somebody the possibility of hope. But if they've had a difficult enough life, they've, you know, uh, they've lost hope. They've had opportunities to regain it. But because they have that experience of wanting to hold on to hope, but it being so close that it slips out of their fingers, they don't want to risk the chance that this opportunity of having hope is going to make them, you know, backslide even further. Right, and and, and also for 1985, highlighting uh, mental health because even Flora has her own mental health issues mm-hmm. that are right. they're they're kind of like 
touched on, skirted around a bit. Like no one, and and like as and like Carrie's big struggle is, I think she just thinks, oh well, my job is to get these people a place to live. Like she doesn't understand that it, it's sort of like the um, from my own personal experience how I'm relating it is like people who have eating disorders, like people who who are, are overeaters. It's like, well, what are you feeding? Like what? Like what's the issue? behind this and it's like these people need actual therapists not like oh well here let, I can help you get a job but they can't keep that job because of the underlying mental health issues and again for 1985 they were again kind of skirting around those issues like they were kind of being talked about but not really um but yeah that it, it, it was it was at least good that they were mentioned yeah yeah, yeah. And, then, and, and like the old couple that lost their home you know, right, because right. of social security and stuff like that. It's it's that was a big thing happening then too. Now, do did any of you um, notice that from some of the scenes, as you were saying, Demanda, Flora has her own issues, possibly a fragile mental state. She is sort of mothering Carrie. She's telling her about her young son that she's lost touch with. And she's relating to him because she reminds her of him. She hands her one of her worldly possessions, and it happens to be a spoon. But do you do you get the impression from the way that scene is played that Lucy's character doesn't necessarily know that this was not her child's baby spoon? Because it looked pretty big to me. It looked like a serving spoon. So 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 I I, I think I think her again, and this is all conjecture and hearsay, but mm-hmm. I, I, I think the son is dead. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I think her son and her husband are dead, and she just sort of, like, latched on to whatever and sort of in her head said, this spoon that I took from my house was my kid's spoon. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it, it was that... Um sort of that moment, that leap of faith in the film when Carrie decides to masquerade as somebody who's, you know, um, uh, underprivileged, I guess you'd say. And that was the opportunity for Lucy's character to revisit some of that mothering. It's like it was a comfortable notion to her. And so, of course, in that sense... Carrie pulled one over on her. She caught her off guard because she slipped in while she was mothering her and she's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Right. So, so Carrie's character. So she takes the advice of Collins to just like, go see what it's like to be on the street. And instead of, and, and like Carrie doesn't understand that, Collins isn't telling her to like go pretend to be to be a person who lives on the street. She's right. telling her to just go talk to people. Uh-huh. She's telling you to like just have conversations. And so Carrie, of course, takes it too far. And in the what forty eight hours, if it's yeah. even that long, that she that she is pulling this off, she eats trash and gets violently ill. She gets lice, and she is sexually assaulted. <laughs> it's like it's like the writer of this movie I'm like sir do we really think <laughs> uh, like like that that like that 
all happened in 48 hours like right. that was a lot that was a lot and then and then after she's back at the clinic it looks like she's learned nothing no nothing. She's, she learned absolutely nothing now, nope. am I the only one who thought, and maybe this was just Daphne Zuniga's range um, <laughs> portraying this scene, did anyone else think that when her boss was giving her the talk that she was going to cry? Oh, also, her, bo- her boss was just as bad. He's also a terrible, terrible Well, you just know. Uh, yeah. You just know that those two who have seen each other in states of undress. Oh, 100. <laughs> 100. <laughs> and, and, also, and also, like, Dan, uh, 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 Carrie also gets kind of, like, that love interest of, like, the guy who who comes of in. Max. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever with that. Yeah. And, and also, the, the woman who runs the women's shelter. Oh, Rebe- yes. was Re- Rebecca Schultz. What? I can't. I, again, I remember looking her up. Like she, she, was, was, on, she was on wings. Yes, wings. That's what yes. it was. I, oh my goodness. So that was kind of a experience to behold because she was playing such an opposite to her character on wings, who uh, was a, a kind hearted person. And now she's the social worker who is just seen so much. So hard nosed. Uh, yeah, so hard nosed. And it's yeah. like, she, she tells Lucy, we don't provide transportation. Well, you bust her in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so. And, and I don't know what third world country they bust her to. I mean, it was supposed to be like Brooklyn or something. But it was like, oh, my God, this looks like a, this looks like Bosnia or something in the 80s. But, but, like... but, but also, to my <laughs> friends who live in Manhattan, if you uh, mention Brooklyn, it is a third world country. Like it is so far. <laughs> I I once spent a week in Greenwich Village on spring break, and I got on the train, and I got when it was going the wrong way, and as soon as I heard Brooklyn as one of the destinations, I'm like, I gotta get off. I'm on the wrong. <laughs> oh. Well, but you know, she had some really good cat food that she shared with the, the cat. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know what? Yes, this is legit, but the way that you threw this in here, the, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> okay, you know, fancy feast, whatever. So, moreover, in general, I would say that. Um, you know, Lucy was probably herself one of the stronger elements in this. Sure. Yes. She had parts that were difficult for her because they were out of her element of being a comedic actor. But I, I think that some of the supporting cast uh, could have had stronger portrayals of their roles. But overall, I think it's... A mildly misunderstood film in that it's a hard subject to tackle. So if you're going to throw somebody out there doing a different genre than they're used to, of course, they're not going to hit a home run their first time out. I will tell you my own feelings on comedy versus drama. I honestly feel that while I never disliked Jim Carrey's career, I actually have enjoyed more of his serious roles than his comedic ones. There mm-hmm. was a movie called The Majestic where he ends up um, through a series of events having a car accident, losing his memory. And he's trying to recover in this small town. 
And it basically, he resembles somebody who went to war and was thought killed. Now he's suddenly the hometown hero, and he's not in a position to deny it because he's lost his memory. Meanwhile, he helps to restore this old theater that's part of the heart of this little town. So it's it's a, it's a cute film, majestic. And like I said, Jim Carrey is mostly associated with comedy roles, but this is one dramatic role that I thought he actually did better than most of his comedy. Yeah, well, I think that for the Jim Carrey's and the, uh, oh, what's the the heftier lady, the one that was in Ghostbusters, actually all of them. Yes. McCarthy, yeah. They, they, their thing is that they do the scene and then the director just lets them riff and change and, and they they don't know when to cut it they just keep going and going and i think that that type of comedy sometimes it's awesome and sometimes you just need to edit um, i'm trying to remember what the name of the movie is since you brought up melissa mccarthy there's a mm-hmm. movie and it's something bird there's like it, it's about a bird uh, uh, and it's even though she's still it's still funny um it is a more dramatic turn for it so it it's uh it's about uh she's going through a um an issue her husband is in rehab uh or uh, or he might have or no do you know what i think he tried to kill himself and there's now this bird that is staying in her a tree outside of her house and she wants to get rid of it um and so like there's some there's some definitely some comedy moments but it's it's definitely a movie where you're like oh no she is She's she's an actress. She's not just yeah. like this. Is it the Starling? Whatever. Is it the Starling? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 She, and that's the thing is that a lot of really really good comedian uh, comedic actors can do really kick ass drama because there is a level of pain and drama in comedy. Um, so yeah. But so but so, so Lucy just missed that though it, it's it, it so there's also i feel like there's as i was i was kind of talked about this earlier there's kind of a progression about how these sort of movies of the week mm-hmm. have progressed so like these movies of the week that could really be about anything it's like they kind of split off into two genres there's like the woman scorned or the woman who's abused by her spouse and that those kind of movies went to like lifetime, and then <laughs> yeah. and then there's the uh, feel good rom coms kind of mm. stuff that kind of went to the Hallmark Channel, right? Yeah. So and, because like you know we don't really have like movies of the week anymore, right. um, and and I feel like the reason that a lot of those movies have a very basic formula to them is because of movies like Stone Pillow where they kind of wanted to say something and so they wanted to make something different and they wanted to like make a statement but also like still like make like a little bit of a feel-good movie and it's kind of clunky whereas they know that these like you know uh, be- uh forgive the phrase but like battered woman movies on Lifetime and who gets uh, you know th- and then the mm-hmm. husband gets his comeuppance or the uh, feel-good, you know, hard-nosed city woman goes back to her hometown, but by the end learns the true meaning of Christmas. Like, there's a reason that those movies work and that they're copy-and-pasted 
over and over again is because they know that the audience is going to to get it and they don't have to think that hard and we're not putting something in front of them that they are going to be confronted by mm-hmm. um and it's it's sort of comforting to to sort of watch those things mm-hmm. yeah that's one of the reasons that uh, i don't mind the christmas movies that are churned out they're so formula they're so basic they're so simple and yet they're just comforting and nice it's it, it, it's something to put on like while you're crafting, while exactly. you're like decorating yeah. your tree, while you're doing right. stuff. Like there, there was a, a a time, um, a friend of mine came over. She was um, so, she was sewing a costume for me while I was like working on the hair for it, and I had like one of those again Netflix rom rom coms, and so she's sewing and she goes. Oh, are we at the part yet where like she finds out the deep secret of the guy yet? And I was like, Oh no, we're not there yet. Neither of us had seen the movie before. <laughs> you knew what was coming. Yeah. What did you think about the part where Lucy they actually tackled the bathroom issue and Lucy was about to to do her business in a little nook and then somebody <laughs> stole her car and that other woman stole her car. Uh, I was like, I'm surprised they did that. Yeah, I was wondering whether or not they were going to, like... Go say, there? Like, where, like, where it is... Because the thing is... So, again, working with adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, all the training that you have to do with that. The most vulnerable place for a person is in is in a, in a bathroom. Mm-hmm. So that's why, uh, like, a lot, a lot of uh, folks don't like to use public restrooms because like that's where you're you're most vulnerable so you mm-hmm. need and like there you don't have protection and why uh in, in my case of the people that i used to um support and work for um that's why it's like well these people are alone with you at their most vulnerable like in in a secluded place so it's like like it it, it is true like when that happened when she went to the bathroom, I was like, "Oh no, her cart's out there all by itself. Like, where did like where does she park it? Where does she hide it?" Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know that just reminds me of a story my sister used to tell. She was a young mom, and uh, you know had her moment where she had to go. And of course, when you have resources, you make use of them. And so apparently. <laughs> There was a box of diapers in the car, and well, l- let's just let you draw to your own conclusions. Oh, <laughs> you do what you gotta do, girl. Oh, now yeah. to your point though about TV movies, Amanda, I will use this example. I'm not a huge Bill Murray fan, but one of my favorite '80s movies is a Christmas movie that just happens to have Bill Murray. It's Scrooged, and. Hmm. It happens to have Alfre Woodard in it in a fabulous role. And Carol uh, Kane. Yes. But mm-hmm. the funny thing is, is that the whole story is about this network station that's doing their own version of Christmas Carol. And they've got <laughs> this absurd cast of all these names. And who do they have playing Tiny Tim? Mary Lou Ratton. <laughs> Oh, that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> righty. Well, we are out here at the lobby. And so before we say our good nights, we're going to mention <coughs> other taping uh, programs you might enjoy if Stone Pillow was something kind of up your alley. So after my sip of iced coffee, <laughs> and I get my lungs back because, you know, I got asthma. Um, okay, so I will 
give my honorable mention here. This is a film from 2007 with John Leguizamo. Speaking of a comedic actor who can do well in drama, where God left his shoes when Frank, Angela, and their two children are evicted from their New York City apartment, they have no choice but to move into a homeless shelter. After a few difficult months, good news comes their way on Christmas Eve. A nearby housing project has an opening. If only Frank can find a job, they can qualify. By the way, he's illiterate. So, 2007, uh, Where God Left His Shoes. Oh, that sounds lovely. All right. Well, for me, <clears throat> I would like to recommend a fabulous movie from the same time period, 1984, called The Dollmaker. So Jane Fonda, in an Emmy-winning performance as a pioneer woman and a mother of five, oy, from the Kentucky Hills, who was forced to uproot her children to follow her husband, Clovis Leon Helm, <laughs> to Detroit, where he finds work during World War II. Uh, one setback follows another, and shattering tragedy strikes the family. It's all up to Gertie to find new strength, courage, and determination to keep her family together and strong. And it actually is a, a, an amazing, absolutely amazing uh, movie. So, heart-wrenching as well. And I will say that Jane Fonda is one of those people... I don't think that I've seen a film I didn't like her in. Yeah. 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 So, Demanda, do you have any honorable mentions? Anything? So, so the, the only thing, so like watching this film, I was trying to like come up with something that like kind of reminded me. And the, it's very, it's, it, <laughs> it doesn't have a lot of relation to it, but in my mind, it had the same kind of like feeling. So, if you're someone, who enjoys a very ham-fisted, hammer-over-the-head message. <laughs> the episode of Dawson's Creek, I want to say it's in season five or season six, so it's definitely in the college years. It is the only episode that the only series regular is Katie Holmes. She is kidnapped at gunpoint by this guy at an ATM. And it's she like gets like a bit of Stockholm syndrome where like she's like kind of feeling sorry for him, but then like he's still like a bad person. It's the whole episode is so overwrought and and terrible, but also like trying to make a social statement about something, and it like kind of misses the mark. It's a little clunky. Um, it's also because Dawson's Creek when it went to the college years in seasons five and six, it shifted its focus from Dawson to Joey. I, for what I, I don't know if it was because James Vanderbeek wanted like less or if they were really trying to push Katie Holmes and like being like a bigger superstar, but everything about those last two seasons are so awkward and, because it's called Dawson's Creek, but it's like all about Joey. It's all about <laughs> Joey in college. And it's just, it's it's one of those very special episodes, and it just feels it feels awkward and out of place, and that's kind of what <laughs> this movie this movie made me feel. <laughs> kind of like stealing your sandwich to get to the birds. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, right. Yeah. 
All right. So, uh, you know, we have this bit we do, speaking of Lucy, <laughs> where we tell you what's coming up next. So the uh, the Marionette Theater has been host to many uh, fabulous things before. Vaudeville, Magic X. We have a bag of coins here that helps figure out what's coming up next. Matt, will you grab the bag that's up there on that shelf for me? Oh, okay. Here we go. All right, we're going to put the coin in the machine. All right, so we are just about to, uh, in another week or two here, have a a hijacked holiday because it actually belonged to the pagans first. And, uh, well, the Holy Roman Church decided, no, you can't have a holiday. It's ours now. But some of us call it Christmas. Others call it Crema. The holidays, think of it what you will. So, uh, Matt, yes. tell us a little bit about what's coming up next year, including the line above where it says next time on. Oh, yes. Uh, well, next time on Matinee Medusha, well, we're on mini winter break, so we won't be here. Sorry. <laughs> uh, our next episode actually is Friday, January 19th, 2024, in the new year. But, uh, you know, yeah. because while everybody else, except for the Chinese, are celebrating New Year's, they're really celebrating my birthday, because that's the day. <laughs> yes. So next time, actually, January 19th, 2024, we will have an early 70s crime drama and mystery TV series. The San Francisco Police Commissioner, Stuart Mac McMillan. Oh, gosh, he was hot. Oh, and his amateur detective wife keep their marriage unpredictable while solving the city's most baffling crimes, starring Rock Hudson and Susan St. James. McMillan and wife with returning guest Paul the Shy Yeti from the Shy Life Podcast. Yay! We love Paul. All right. So, uh, you know, before the Uber shows up to take demand off to her private plane. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Please do let the listeners know, Demanda, how they can um, follow you legally without a restraining order. (laughs) Sure. So, uh, again, this is my... I don't know, 27th appearance on this show? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, no, uh, it's, it's like eight. She's now AI. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so you can come find me across all social media platforms uh, at Demanda Martini. That's D-M-A-N-D-A-M-A-R-T-I-N-I. Um, coming up uh, this year, so my goal in 2023 was to travel a lot with drag, and I did it. So I'm going to be doing more of it in 2024. Um, in uh, in February, uh, in the first week or second weekend of February is Farpoint Convention. Uh, so if you are in the Baltimore area, uh, I will be hosting uh, the annual drag show there. Uh, it's called To Farpoint and Beyond. Uh, I will be doing a nude illusion, Lewax on a Troy. So uh, please come out to support. Um, I have an amazing cast, including uh, my friends Logan Stone, Charlemagne Chateau, Tiffany D. Carter, and Dax! Exclamation Point. 
Uh, so uh, again, please, please come find me there. This year, I'm going to be going to WonderCon in uh, Anaheim, California in March. Um, a guest appearance uh, that I can't talk about yet because it hasn't been announced, but I will be traveling uh, to the Midwest to do that. And I will be making another appearance uh, in May in Portland, Oregon. So uh, more things to come, uh, but uh, come find me. Uh, I have tons of stuff going on. Would love to see you guys. Yeah, you know, when you're doing Loxana, you should have like a, a little um, like urn and then just say that Odo's in it. <laughs> I remember the dress I, episode where he like informed yeah, my, her dress. My friend who doesn't okay. Odo, we've never been able to like get to the same cons together oh. to do the Loxana and Odo. He does a great Odo. His name is a Stonecutter Cosplay. Uh, for those of you who are uh, uh, Star Trek fans and enjoy cosplay. It's so good. I'm like, I need, I'm like, I need, we need to like get together to like actually do it. That would be you know, awesome. When, when Deep Space Nine was still in uh, its initial run, I actually preferred the pairing of Odo and Loaxana. I wish uh-huh. the opportunity had existed for them to be a couple because him and Kira, that just, that was like, Deanna, Troy, and Worf, if you ask me. Uh-huh. So <laughs> awkward. Yeah. But that would be excellent if that could ever work out, Demanda. Can you imagine <laughs> the sequel is the wedding that never happened? <laughs> Odo and Loaxana. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. And, uh, you know, if you've been listening through this whole episode, Matt was kind enough to return to us from our last episode. He's filling in some big shoes. Matt, where can the listeners find you just in case they've been living under a rock and maybe don't recognize your voice? Well, you can find me over at ChubbsGoneWild.com for the podcast that embraces everybody and uh, celebrates all sizes, all people, no matter who you are. And then you can go over to the Big Gay Sex Show, The Daddy Years, where you can check well, Ouija and I talking about dirty stuff and also uh, sex uh, education type stuff, but in a dirty way. And uh, yeah, oh, and uh, go to justkisstheguy.com and you can check out all my books and uh, articles and other things that are out there. Okay, well, uh, you know, we did not talk about a happy, jolly film, because that's what everyone else is doing, and you know, (laughs) some of us have anxiety, and we're over in the corner while the party's happening, so we had to keep our eyes on reality here. We wanted you to experience the discomfort of Lucy being an (laughs) house person on the streets, and, you know, underprivileged, but... um, we wish everyone a very happy holiday season. Stay safe. Be mindful of others. And, you know, um, if your family is too toxic, retail therapy works. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to matineeminutia.com, click the YouTube icon for live video, enter Discord or chat. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Tweet us on Twitter at 
matinee minutia. Find our group on Facebook. Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com.